Why does this need a tree? Why is there different types of wings? What How am I alive? Welcome to What About This? The COVID pandemic has thrown all of us into unexpected places. For me, I suddenly found myself realizing that I couldn't hide the fact that I probably have significant hearing loss. I've been managing pretty okay until now, reading lips, guessing what was said, or going for the laughs when I mishear something. But now all these face masks and plastic shields are really throwing everything off. And so after 30 years, I decide it's time to finally get a hearing test to stop hiding. Going up to the fourth floor here. The last time I had a hearing test was when I was a kid. It's been so long, I'm so nervous um, about the outcome. Um, and I know I shouldn't be, but um, I'm worried about uh, what, what they're gonna find out because I've been hiding it <laughs> for so long and now I can't hide it because I, I can't lip read as much anymore with everyone wearing masks. See, I'm, I'm wearing a mask right now, you can hardly hear me. Okay, here I go. When my audiologist confirmed that yes, indeed, I do have hearing loss, it wasn't a surprise. I was actually really relieved. But then I was introduced to the world of hearing aids and there are so many of them. <laughs> and thankfully, my audiologist, Masha at Toronto Family Hearing is awesome. And she was up to answering my many questions. My First question was a simple one and realized I actually don't know the answer is how do our ears hear? Uh, we do usually like to think that it's our ears doing the heavy lifting, but the the, the purpose uh, of the ears or the job of the ears is just to pick up the infantile sounds and transmit that sound to the brain, which then does the uh, the interpretation of that, that sound and that information coming in. So usually the, the type of hearing loss that we're treating is at the level of the ear that we're not able to fully pick up all of the sounds and send that information to the brain. So whether there's nerve damage at the level of the ear, uh, so the organ that's meant to pick up that sound and send it to the brain, uh, there's either damage there or um, uh, there's some temporary hearing losses that can be caused by wax buildup in the ear, so something more mechanical um, uh, or structural that's happening, a hole in the eardrum, for instance. So anything that's preventing uh, the full amount of sound to, to reach the nerve in the first place. So those are called conductive hearing losses versus nerve-based hearing losses. And then you can have a combination of the two. Uh, so a part of it being conductive, a, a part of it being uh, nerve-based that we call mixed. Wow. So if you had uh, hearing loss for, let's say, 40 years and you finally decide to get off your vein horse and get a <laughs> hearing aid, can the brain relearn a sound they haven't heard in 40 years? Of course. So uh, our brains are magnificently plastic things that uh, are quite adaptable to uh, changes in our environment. Uh, so in the same way that someone can get used to having a hearing loss and not recognizing what they're missing, on the, the other end of the spectrum when we reintroduce that sound, uh, it will take the brain some time depending on how long that sound has been missing, but it can sort of kick off that process again of re-familiarizing itself with the sound and relearning that information. 
Wow. And now that poster, I know I've talked about before, being amazed by that poster in your office that says something like 75% of hearing loss is people under age of 65. That's not at all what we kind of connect with hearing aids and hearing loss. Is that something that we're trying to spread the word out more, that this isn't um, something that happens when you get older, but it's something that happens to a lot of people under the age of 65, actually? Of course. And I mean, one of the common misconceptions about hearing loss is, oh, that's that's something that uh, that only happens uh, to older people. And that's not the case at all. So uh, we forget about a lot of the other common causes of hearing loss, one of the major factors being genetics and the, the what I usually like to call the, the luck of the genetic lottery. Though age-related hearing losses are common, they're not the most common factor when uh, uh, when we're considering hearing losses. So, uh, so most people with hearing losses are actually under age 65. Okay, now to the fun part, the actual hearing aids. How have hearing aids um, progressed? I'd probably say one of the biggest factors is just that we can get these computer chips so darn small now. So they can do, there's so much processing power that we can fit on a computer chip smaller than the the tip of a needle. I'm going to say all hearing aids now uh, are digital, uh, so they've got uh, digital sound processing built into them. The manufacturers are working um, incredibly hard developing algorithms to help clean up the signal as, as much as possible to make sure that the brain is getting a clean signal to to interpret because of course like we discussed earlier when the when you're dealing with a, a hearing loss that's been, that's been present for a good amount of time and the brain has to relearn information again the cleaner that signal that it's getting the better it's going to be able to interpret that information particularly when there's a background noise present so that's the cake and then the icing is now they can be connected to uh, bluetooth devices and they basically uh, fit into our lives a lot more seamlessly than than they use to. They're not the, the big beige bananas that uh, that we have this, this idea in our head of what a hearing aid looks like. Yeah, I feel like I'm a bit of a rock star. Like, I feel like I'm wearing like a, an AirPod, like my backup <laughs> music is in my ear. So whenever I tell teenagers, hey, look what I have. <laughs> yeah, course. right to my ears. Yours are falling out. Look at mine. Yeah, they're really uh, well made. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, definitely they fit in ears so much better than AirPods. <laughs> and do you where do you see it going like fashion wise? Do you think it will be something that you don't necessarily have to hide or conceal, but it could be part of more fashionable, more part of the mainstream? Like, oh you got a hearing aid, cool, I like the bling. Do you see it going that way? I would love to see that. I mean, the manufacturers do their parts. There are actually some pretty uh, amazing colors and patterns and things like that you can get um, uh, on the, the external component of the hearing aid. But, yeah, I mean, we get so excited in the office when people order the, the neon green ones, and they do exist, <laughs> the lime greens, the, the pinks, the blues, the purples. Oh, that's great to hear. Yay. Thank you so much for uh, everything you've done for me. It's, it's, uh, it's opened a whole new world. Thank you for for sharing that with me. That's why I do what I do. Wearing a hearing aid has been really great, actually. They're fun to wear because you get to hear all sorts of things when you walk down the street that maybe other people can hear, but I suddenly feel like a super spy. And for the first time in my life, I don't have to work so hard to hear. But I have noticed that I keep hiding them. 
I wasn't telling my friends about them, and I would make sure that my hair covered my ears so people wouldn't see the tiny wires. I don't normally see myself as a vain person, but suddenly there I was with superwoman hearing powers and feeling quite self-conscious and less attractive. These feelings, though, led me to find a really great book called Hearing Happiness. It's by Canadian historian Japrit Viri. She had a severe case of meningitis when she was four that left her very hard of hearing. She grew up in Toronto and became an expert lip reader, but always feeling caught between the two worlds of not quite deaf enough for the deaf community and not able to hear enough for her to fit in with the hearing world. So in her university studies, and now as a history professor at the University of Delaware, she looks closely at the history of so-called cures for hearing loss. And what I found really interesting, the whole evolution of hearing aids themselves and how they fit or not fit in society. I reached out to Japri to see what she thought it would take to have hearing aids be just as accessible and fashionable as wearing glasses. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are are you? Sorry, I need to come right after class. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I know you're busy. Our recording was done on Google Meet, where we could read the closed captioning to help with our conversation. My first question to Japrit was, what did she think it would take for younger people to openly wear hearing aids? I can say this is not a new thing, and... Hearing aid companies trying to target that under 60 age group. And there's several reasons for that. The first is, of course, that um, poor hearing seems to be associated, as you said, with the depth of the capital D culture, like complete lack of hearing, or with an elderly group. Poor hearing is associated with aging, so to speak. So if you decide to get a hearing aid, you know, after, I don't know, you're in your 30s or your 40s or onward, it's this idea that you are getting older. And it's also at the time we really start to see visible signs of aging as well, you know, whether it's like wrinkles or gray hair, or we can't move around the same way as we used to. So it is a vanity thing, but it is also this cultural situation that puts hearing aids within these two categories, either for deaf people or for elderly people. But where is that middle ground? Where are, as you said, you know, people who can consider themselves to be um, hard of hearing or mildly deaf or things like that? Like, where is that fit in? And that, for me, as a historian, is reflective of a much broader trend in the ways in which hearing aids have been advertised. So companies realize that many people hesitated to seek out a hearing aid because they didn't, they weren't really thinking about their hearing loss as something that was serious enough to warrant any kind of correction. So we know, obviously we know we need eyeglasses when we can't see anymore, whether it's un, not being able to see a television or computer screen or not being able to read print. There's a period where we reach when we know we have to have glasses. And it often has serious physical symptoms too, like you get migraine, you're straining, um, it has other kinds of physiological effects. With hearing loss, these experiences tend to be very varied among people. So some people might not really notice that they, the hearing is starting to decline. 
Um, sometimes they might not even be aware of it unless somebody else points it out, usually in the course of a conversation. Mm -hmm. And which is again shows how much we we um we value conversational settings within our communities, within our social group. The other trend to really think about the resistance has to do with the enormous stigma that is still very much present in being disabled. So this idea that if you are not normal, so to speak, um, if you are disabled in any way, it essentially means that you know you need services, you need accommodations, um, you can be a burden. So there's all these negative connotations associated with disability and there's you know, ableism is an enormous issue and it still very much affects today's society and the way we perceive um, the need to correct hearing loss at the very least by wearing a hearing aid. Yeah, I really liked in your book when you talked about this idea of concealing how, and even when I got mine, you want it to match your skin tone. You want to make it so you don't see it. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked in your book about post-war, Second World War, um, mm -hmm. all these fantastic, can you talk about these inventions a bit? Like the brooch is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how that works. But mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was an dramatic transformation in how these marketing changes because really about returning to post-war normality. Everybody has to do their duty to be the productive, self-sufficient citizen, and they all had certain kinds of social roles to fulfill. So the housewife who's unable to hear her husband's require, requirement for dinner, or the grandmother who can hear a grandchild crying, or even, you know, the man who's unable to hear his boss, his orders at work. Like these are the stories that deaf and hard of hearing people were being told in the 40s and the 50s that each one of us has a certain kind of social duty and social role to play to uphold these cultural values. And these advertisements reflect that. And that's why glamour became such a huge selling point. I mean, you know, you mentioned the earrings and they weren't actually earrings. They were actually little clips that you put in front of your ear to cover the ear mold. That's it. And the, they were really misleading. There were some advertisements that said that nobody's going to see your wires if you wear this certain kind of pearl necklace. But if you actually look at the device, it's like, no, it's, you can still see the wires. You can still see the earpiece. Just because it's not shown in the advertisement or any of the promotional uh, photographs, it doesn't mean that it's completely invincible. That's not how it works. So, um, you know, I, I love seeing these things because it shows the many creative ways in which people were advised on how to conceal the hearing aid, partly because of stigma, but also partly because of this expectation to groom yourself in a certain way, you know, to uphold um, your class position, for example. But this is something you don't really see, for example, in working class images. You know, I've come across advertisements showing people working in factories or working in the airplane hangars and their devices are very visible because in these kinds of situations, for the safety of everyone, people need to know the coworker is deaf. Whereas it might not be the same thing as in a personal or even a business setting. And so from the 50s to now, where do you think advertisement has gone with that? Because I don't see it anywhere. No, I mean, now it's essentially a lot of advertisements. Um, I would say approximately 
the late 1980s, you see another shift in the advertisement where you see a separation of age groups. Hearing aids start to become targeted more to the elderly population and cochlear implants start to be targeted to the younger population, especially to children. So that's what happened. The technology changed, the reason for advertising changed. Um, but of course, we know that all age groups were hearing aids, all genders, all races were hearing aids. But how they're marketed really depends on what kind of brand it is, like what the company itself is trying to maintain itself, like what's its brand category, its brand tag, and that, that really varies. And where do you see it going? Do you have, if you looked in your crystal ball, where would you see? <laughs> I honestly don't see much changing, to be honest, um, because so far I've seen the same messages of concealing, of being normal, of hiding, I see that repeatedly in in um, consumer documents, so like in advertisements and you know promotional pamphlets. What I would like to see is the other side of that, where people modify their devices. Where you know you. I've seen, for example, people deciding to wear a blue ear mold. Like it's very bright. It's like a reflection of the personality. I've met a kid who had a cochlear implant with flashing lights because he felt like Iron Man. So he had a redesign to like Iron Man, you know, core. So why don't we see this in this advertisement? Why don't we see people who bedazzle their hearing aid. Like, I mean, they do that. If you go on Google, there's lots of how-to advice on how to like make your hearing aid your own. This kind of personality quirk that remove the medicalized aspect of the device, move it away from an assistive technology and makes it personal. Like it becomes a prosthetic. I wanna see more of that. I'm actually working on another project on this whole history of people who made their hearing aids their own um, because it's not, that's the history that's not reflected in the capitalist history of hearing aid. It's not in the advertisement, it's not on in any of the document, but it's still there. And it's a very powerful history because it's really about reclaiming a medical device as your own identity. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Okay, great okay. meeting you. Bye. After talking with Japrit, I am looking at my hearing aids differently seeing how this medical assisted device can be part of more who I am, my identity. How can I claim them instead of being embarrassed by them or hiding them? I really want to find a way to dazzle them. I have noticed that I will take them in and out of my ear in front of people more, and I'll talk about them. I'll mention if I need something repeated with, can you repeat that? Something so simple, but I never allowed myself to do before. I don't know if I have an Iron Man in me, but I'm really excited about seeing how hearing aids can be more mainstream, seen in fashion, entertainment, advertisements, sports, and in our everyday life. Thank you to my audiologist, Masha, at Toronto Family Hearing, and for Professor Japrit for sharing their time and knowledge with us please check out Japrit Verity's awesome book called Hearing Happiness. And thank you to Jason for his audio and music support. You can find more episodes of What About This with Rachel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and clicking that subscribe button. It does help. Thanks and take care.